Well, praise the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Amen. And he's greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. How many know this morning that we serve a God that cannot and will not ever fail you? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. What an awesome and mighty God that he is. Oh, I love him this morning. Amen. So uh, I was thinking about whenever Brother Josh was talking about the float trip yesterday, I thought, my goodness, we missed it. Well, that's okay, because the last float trip we went on was a sink trip. Yeah. We spent more time dragging our canoe off the bottom of the river than we did floating in it. And so um, we learned that floating was probably not our calling. And so... um, we haven't been home, been back floating since. <laughs> when everybody else was going this way, we was up around here somewhere floating around in circles trying to figure out how to get it to go where we want to. And so uh, anyways, it's good to be here at Ozark Full Gospel this morning. We haven't been over here for a while, and I thought it was kind of interesting because uh, your pastor is over in our neck of the woods. So we kind of traded areas for this morning, amen, but it's always an honor to come and be a a part of what's going on here at Ozark Full of Gospel. We appreciate you all very much, and and, uh, uh, we've been looking forward to this, amen. I know God is doing some great and some mighty things, amen. How many are glad for what God is doing in your life this morning? Has God blessed you this week? Amen. Let me ask you something else. Has anybody faced any trials this week? Yeah, we got a few murmurings here this morning. I believe that's something that all of us go through, amen? We, we have our high points, we have our low points. Every, everybody has their good times and everybody has their hard times. And we serve a God that said he will never leave us nor will he ever forsake us, amen? Praise the Lord, and, and I'm thankful for that this morning, amen? I'm thankful that, uh, uh, for the fact that God... Uh, to, uh, uh, pulled this old boy out of the hills and he said, I want you to preach the gospel. There was a time that I was not thankful for that. Amen. There was a time whenever I ran away from that. Amen. But there came a time whenever I I finally said yes to God and he began to pour out his anointing upon my life and I've never been the same since. Amen. And I thought so many times of a, of a, a, a story that I heard one time about a farmer that had built a, a, a pen for a pig underneath an oak tree. Amen. And he put him a, a, a little pig house under there. I don't know what they're called. As far as I'm concerned, it's a pig house. And one day in the fall, a big wind came up and it began to blow that big old oak tree and acorns fell off and began to hit the metal roof on that pig house. And the pig got scared and run through the fence and off out through the field. And the moral of the story is a pig was running from what he ought to have been full of. Amen. 
And I thought how long I ran from something that I needed to be full of. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'm thankful that he filled me this morning. I'm thankful that I can feel his spirit and his presence working in my life. Hallelujah. We're going to get into the word of God this morning. Amen. If you will turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Now, this is a very uh, familiar happening in the Word of God. These are familiar scriptures. If they're not familiar to you, you need to read your Bible. Amen. So I want to begin in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 1. It said, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to, to battle and were gathered together at Shechoh, uh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shechoh and Azekah and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the, by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines... And the, the Philistines stood on one mountain and on the side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between, between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had graves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spearheads weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one, uh, and one bearing the shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am I not, am I, and not I a Philistine and ye Servants of Saul, choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. And if he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will I be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel. This day, give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I want to talk to you this morning on the thought of unlikely champions. 
Amen. Would you bow your head with me this morning? Father, we come before you this morning, God, and I want to thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord, to come into your house, Lord, to lift up our voice and praise and glory and to lift up our voice and honor unto you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to worship you. I thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to stand behind this sacred desk and preach uh, the precious, holy word of God that you have called me to, and I pray for your anointing, Lord, uh, throughout the remainder of this service and upon this message. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint me to preach the word that you've laid upon my heart this morning, God. And I pray, Father, that you'd anoint every ear to hear what the word of God would have to say uh, to them, Lord, this morning. And uh, Father, I want to give you all the praise and I want to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to talk to you for just a minute. Of course, we know this is the story of David and Goliath. Amen. And we've heard the story since, uh, uh, since we were children. Amen. And I've, I've preached on these scriptures. I've preached up and down, backwards and sideways and over and under. Amen. And the Lord just seemed like every time that I look at it, the Lord gives me more and more and more. Amen. How many know that's why it's the living word of God? Hallelujah. Because you never feel finished reaping from what the word of God has for you. But the Bible said in verse number four that there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines and it began to describe this champion as being a massive man. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. His armor was much greater than anybody else's there. And his, his, his spear and his sword, it, it was so heavy that the common man, it was of no use to them. Amen. And as he stood uh, high and mighty, the Bible said that he was a champion. That meant that he was the very best at what he done. He was the very best that the, uh, that the Philistines had. He was the one who was undefeated. Amen. Amen. That's what the champion is. Whenever you look at a champion, you look at a, a champion ball team. The reason they're the champion is because they've defeated all the other teams. Amen. If you look at a, a champion athlete, the reason uh, that person is a champion is because they've defeated everyone else in their class or their category, and that made them the very best that they were. Amen. So this Philistine Goliath, he was the very best, amen. He had defeated every other foe that he had ever came upon. And so he came and he was ready. He had his armor and he had his weapons and he was ready to come and, uh, and fight. And he said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. And he beckoned him, give me a man that'll fight, amen. Do you have somebody that's worthy? Do you have somebody that's as big as I am? Do you have somebody that's as strong as I am? Do you have a champion? But the Bible said that they were afraid. Amen. The Bible said that, that, that Israel, they were, they were afraid of this champion. And they didn't know what they were going to do. Amen. Now, let's get to the good stuff. Amen. Verse number 12. It said, now David was the son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man, the man went among men 
for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three elder sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to battle. And the names of these three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the next unto him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest. And the three eldest followed Saul. So the three eldest were probably the biggest. They were probably the strongest. Amen. They were probably the ones that everyone thought if we were going to have a champion, it'd probably be one of these. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You remember back in in chapter 16, whenever they were going to choose one to be anointed king, and they brought all of Jesse's sons, and they began to go through them one by one by one, trying to pick out who uh, the, the, the one that God had anointed to be king. And I'm sure that they probably started with the biggest one. Amen. They probably started with the most powerful. They probably started with the most mightiest warrior out of all of them. God said, no, this isn't the one. And they went down through the line and none of them was the one. And they said, is this your, all of your sons? And Jesse said, no, I have one. His name is David, but he's tending the sheep. Amen. He's the one that we leave at home to do the chores. He's the youngest one. He's the smallest one. He's the pretty boy. He's the handsome. I send my big, strong, ugly sons to fight the battle. <laughs> Amen. They said, well, go get him. Well, nobody ever thought of David. Who would ever think of little David being the one to be anointed king? Who would have ever thought of it? And so they went and they brought David back and God began to move and they said, this is the one. Then the Bible said that Samuel took the horn of oil And he anointed David, and that anointing was on him from that day forward. That means that that anointing never left him. The Spirit of the Lord never left him, even though David went on uh, uh, to do some pretty wicked things along the way. The Spirit of the Lord was still with him, and it was that Spirit that kept drawing him back and drawing him back. Hallelujah. It was that Spirit that was his strength. It was that Spirit that kept drawing him close to an almighty God. Hallelujah. So... They were all standing there and they were afraid. Amen. But then along came David. Amen. Verse number 15, it said, David, David, went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep of Bethlehem. You know why? Because that's who they thought he was. That's what they thought he was doing. Amen. He was feeding the sheep. He was taking care of his father's sheep. Verse number 16, it said, And the Philistine drew near morning, 
an evening and presented himself 40 days. And Jesse said unto David, his son, take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these 10 loaves and run to the camp to thine brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look unto uh, and look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. <clears throat> so I said, I want you to take the supplies up there, and I want you to get a report of how things are going. Amen. Verse 19 said, Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning, being the good, obedient son, and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench. As the host was going forth, to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the, in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and, and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion of the Philistines of Gath, Goliath by name, out of all the armies of the Philistines, and spake, unto, and, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So when David got there, he saw the warriors, including his brother, and they were all standing around trembling because they were all afraid to, to go up against this massive man. Amen. They were all afraid of what might happen to them. They were all afraid that they would be defeated. After all, he's a champion. He's undefeated. Verse number 25, and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? Have you seen him? Have you seen how big he is? Have you seen how mighty he is? He said, surely, he's come up surely to defy Israel. He has come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him the daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spake to the men that stood by. Now I want you to get a picture. And I get a picture in my mind, and my imagination probably don't work like a lot of people's. I've been said, I've been told that anyways. But I've got a little bit of a, a vivid imagination. And I could just see David whenever he comes up on the scene. And he said, 
Is this the guy that you're afraid of? This man here, this is the man that you're afraid of. And they said, yeah, this is the man that we're afraid of. So David said, so what's in it for me? Amen. What's in it for me? What's the, what's the king going to do for this, for the man who defies this man, who defeats him? Amen. Verse 26, and David spake unto the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? And he asked this question, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He said, how dare him to come and defy the armies of the living God? He said, I know the God that I serve is real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How dare him to defy the very armies of God? You see, he, David didn't see this man as a huge, massive giant. He didn't see this man as a champion of Philistine. He saw this man as a godless man. He said, this is an uncircumcised Philistine. Hallelujah. And so he began to have a conversation with Saul. Amen. He said, I can take him. He said, I can take this man. In verse 29, he said, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? He said, I can take this man. Hallelujah. Just let me at him. Amen. Saul said, but you're so little. <laughs> but you're little. Amen. You're no match against this mountain of a man that stands before us. Amen. But he said, I want to tell you something. He said, whenever I was tending to my father's sheep, he said, there was a bear that came out uh, and there was a, a lion that came out and they snatched up one of the sheep out of and, and he said, I went after him. Amen. He didn't cower down in the corner. He didn't run away from them. They had one of his sheep. He went after him and he chased him down and he found him. He said, whenever I found him and I took the sheep back away from him, they came at me and he said, I grabbed him by the beard and I smote him. And he said, the same God that delivered me from the bear, the same God that delivered me from the lion will deliver me out of this Philistine's hands. He's the same God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So finally he convinced Saul. Saul said, you can't go out there like that. He had just come from tending the sheep. Amen. He had a sling and a shepherd bag. Paul said, here, take my armor. Now Saul wasn't no small guy. Amen. He was a big man himself. Here, take my armor. And there was David. Amen. They would try to get a hold of the sword. Amen. 
Verse number 38, I'm skipping down here. It said, and Saul armed David with his armor and put a helmet of brass upon his head and also armed him with a coat of mail. I remember several years ago, I worked in a place where we were supposed to wear hard hats. We hardly ever did. Amen. It's just a small place. Until we heard if, if OSHA was in town and they were doing, then we would go grab the hard hat off the wall. We plug them on top of our head and they had dust all over the back of them. And we were all standing around going like this because nobody was used to them. You know, so we're working along here. This is safe. <laughs> Nobody's going to know. Just. <laughs> Boy, people are strange creatures, aren't they? And that's what I thought about when they put that helmet on David's head. <laughs> David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And he threw them off. He threw them off. Verse number 40, and he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a, in a script, and his sling in his hand, and he drew near the Philistines, just like he ran for the bear, just like he ran for the lion. He ran to the adversary. Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Verse number 41, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David and the man that, that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked out and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance. <laughs> Amen. So he began to chuckle. This is their man. This is the warrior that they sent to kill me? Amen. He said, you've got to be kidding me. It kind of reminds me of when Jehoshaphat was praying, Lord, the army's mightier than us. How are we going to win this battle? God said, send your singers first. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Singers, I'm giving you a plug here. Send your singers first. And so I could just imagine whenever the king went and, and he began to speak to the, 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 the people there and all the warriors and they were, they were ready to go. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do, guys. We're sending in the choir. <laughs> Wait a minute. The choir, Why? The singers, why? Because God said. And of course, if you know the word, you know that whenever they went in, they begin to lift up their hands and they begin to, to, to praise the Lord that God sent ambushments against their enemy. And they, there was confusion. They begin to kill one another. Amen? How many knows that God's way isn't our way? 
So Goliath was standing out there. You sent this little man to kill me. The Philistine said unto David, verse number 43, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. So not only was he mean and ugly, but he is rude and foul-mouthed. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowl of the air and to the beast of the field. And I could just see David. Amen. David. Then said David to the Philistine, thou comest to me with the sword and the spear and with the shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, of God, of the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou defied. Hallelujah. He said, this day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand and I will smite thee and take the head from thee and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine to this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Hallelujah. And when all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that the king to meet David, I'm sorry, that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead. And the stone sunk into his forehead and it fell upon his face to the earth. Yeah. Hallelujah. I find it curious. I find it curious that he had all this armor. Amen. His shoulders were protected. His chest was protected. His head was protected. Even his shin was protected, but they left this open. Surely he can't be hit there. Oh, but whenever David took off and he was running toward that giant and he was slinging that sling. Whenever he let go of that stone, it was guided by the master's hand. Hallelujah. It hit him between the eyes and he fell on his face. Verse number 50, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone And he smote the Philistine and slew him. But there 
was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and he stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath therefore and slew him and cut off his head therewith. Amen. Amen. Now look, this is what I love right here. The last line in verse number 51, it said, and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, there's a new champion in town because he had defeated the very best. Now I want to note a few things. David did not leave those sheep with the intentions of fighting the battle. Amen. David was on an errand for his father. David was on an errand that would benefit those that were fighting the battle. He didn't even discover what his purpose was going to be until he got there. But he knew the, in the God that he served and he knew that God was real. Yes, hallelujah. hallelujah. Even though everybody dismissed David as just a little shepherd boy, he's just an errand boy. Amen. Even as, as they were fighting and he was out there attending the sheep and Jesse came, I want you to take these things. And God used that bread. God used that corn. God used that cheese to get David to the front line where he was going to strategically place him to win the battle over the champion of the Philistines. Yeah, hallelujah. So here's where I'm going with all this. Unlikely champions. David was an unlikely champion. Nobody thought he would ever be a warrior, much less a champion. Amen? Much less the best of the best. But you see, God had other plans for David. Amen? So David spent all of his time, and he was tending the sheep. David spent his time running the errands. David spent his time working for his father, helping his father do things that was seemingly behind the scenes. Seemingly unimportant to the battle, but more important to the family. But all the time, God had David in training. Amen. All the time. God had already anointed David to do great things and to become king one day. Amen. This was the hand of God. Amen. But David was obedient. The Bible said he rose up the next morning and he gathered up the things that his father had sent. Amen. And he set out to do what his father asked him to do. And through that obedience, he became the victorious warrior. Hallelujah. I want to I want to make a point if we go back into verse number 22. It said when David got to the front line where the battle was taking place and he had all of all of these things that his father sent in tow. 
Verse 22, it said, David left his carriage in the hands of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. The keeper of the carriage. Did you know there was a keeper of the carriage? Amen. This is one of these verses that we often just kind of read over. But the keeper of the carriage was the one who kept track of all the supplies that came to the front line of the battle. He's the one that kept track of all the food. He's the one that kept track of all the the weapons and all the the things that needed needed for the battle. He's he's the one that took control and and organized all of this stuff. Okay, he was a behind the scenes guy, but what he done was important to the battle. Amen? So I wonder if the keeper of the carriage may have been an unlikely champion. Amen? Not only was David an unlikely champion, but maybe this keeper of the carriage was an unlikely champion because there is no way that David could have ever defeated that giant if he'd have walked out there carrying all that stuff. So he unloaded his baggage before he went into battle. Church, we cannot fight the spiritual battle that we face every day if we are loaded down with baggage of the world. Hallelujah. But I know one who can take that baggage from you. I know one who can lift that load off of you and make you free. I know one, hallelujah, who can give you the strength that you need even though nobody around you thinks you can do it. Amen. So whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter how big or small, you are not insignificant in the realm of God. You are not insignificant to the church or the work of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you're in this place uh, this morning and maybe you're doing some of the behind the scenes stuff, Maybe you're the one that mows the grass. It's very likely that you are an unlikely champion. Maybe you come in and you sweep the floors. Nobody else is around. Nobody sees you. But you do it. That way come Sunday morning, it'll be nice. Be fresh and clean for people to come and worship. It's very likely that you're an unlikely champion. Maybe you're the one that scrubs the toilets. Nobody sees you. But it's something that needs to be done in the house of the Lord. It's not a pleasant job, and I don't know that God necessarily calls toilet scrubbers. I can say that because I'm a toilet scrubber. Well, when I was done a lot of cleaning at our home church, we've scrubbed the toilets a lot of times. Nobody ever sees us do it. It's very likely that you are an unlikely champion. You see, there's a lot of people that wants to do the big stuff. 
There's a lot of people that wants to stand behind this pulpit and praise. There's a lot of people that wants to be in the praise team or they want to be in the worship band. They want to do this and they want to do this. There's a, there's a lot of people, church, that they want to slay giants, but they don't want to carry the cheese. Hello? They want to slay the giant, but they don't want to carry the cheese. Remember, it's the cheese that got David to the front line to begin with. It's the baggage from his father that got David to the front line to begin with. And when he got to the keeper of the carriage, the keeper of the carriage said, here, I'll take that load. And David went on to the front. He brought the bread, he brought the corn, he brought the cheese. He'd done what his father had sent him to do. But now he was there about his heavenly father's business. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. He had already used those things to get him there. Now God was going to prove uh, uh, the anointing that he had already placed on David's life and these men were going to see it firsthand. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And he went out there and he slayed that giant. And the Bible says that he took the giant's own sword and he cut his head off. And they were victorious. He was a victorious warrior. And I can imagine him standing with one foot propped up on that giant's body, holding his his head by the hair. And he said, by the way, I brought sandwiches. After all, that's a part God's people look forward to, right? (laughs) There's a potluck after the slaying. (laughs) Amen. Hallelujah. So if you want to slay giants, you have to be willing to carry the cheese. Because in doing these things for his father, God had David in training. Amen. How does how does uh, uh, cleaning the church and those kind of things? How's that training? Let me let me give you an example. There is one time, Wilma and I were cleaning our church, and we had we had our. We had our groove down. We knew what we were doing. We went in there every week, and, and you could hear the, the I Spy theme song playing at the front door when we walked in. And she would go her way, and I would go my way, and, and she would start on the bathrooms. I'd grab the floor sweeper, and we'd, we'd start cleaning. We had it all worked out to where she'd get her part done about the same time I did mine. Amen. And, so we'd finish one day and met back at the front door. And the last, the, the last chore that we would do, we, we, all the trash that we had gathered up, we would take it to the dumpster. 
So we had finished the church and got in the car and we pulled around to the dumpster. We was dumping the trash and I noticed two young men sitting over here on the edge of the parking lot. And so I was going to go over and talk to them, but before I could go over there, one of them came over to me. And he began to talk to me. I wanted to invite him to church and everything, but he began to talk to me. And, and he talked to me in a teenager language, which I found out right away I was not up to par on. And I was, I'm stuck in the 80s where we said, cool, man. And you know, that, that's still a thing, believe it or not. There's a lot of stuff that goes with it that I don't understand. But this young man, he kind of spoke some of my language too. But some of the stuff he was saying, I, I didn't understand. I always knew that I was getting out of touch when Tiffany was in high school, our oldest daughter. And she come home one day and she said, Dad, when I turn 16, I want a pimping car. I said, a what? She said, I want a pimping car. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I do, Dad. I really want a pimping car. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What exactly do you mean by a pimping car? She said, you know, a really cool car, Dad. I said, that's not what it used to mean. And she said, yeah, Dad, and I want it to have really tight rims on it. I said, those are the best kind. <laughs> Loose ones will get you in trouble. And I realized how square I had became. I realized that I was my father <laughs> that I used to make fun of. But this young man walks over to me and he said, hey, man, I'm like, So I decided I'm going to communicate with him in his style. I said, hey, man, what's, what's cooking, dude? Well, that wasn't quite there. But he got the point. He said, man, he said, man, he said, you know what's really cool, man? I got into it with him. I said, what's really cool, man? He said, man, I think it's really cool that you guys got a basketball court out behind the church. And I said, yeah, man, that's really cool, ain't it? He said, yeah, man, that's cool. He said, you know what else is really cool, man? And I said, no, man, what else is really cool? He said, I think it's really cool, man, that you guys leave a basketball out there for us to play with. I said, yeah, man, that's really cool, isn't it? He said, yeah, man, me and my buddy over there, we come and we, we, we play basketball down here all the time. I said, that's really cool. He said, you know what else would really be cool, man? And I said, no, man, what else would really be cool? He said, man, it'd really be cool if somebody would put some air in that basketball. <laughs> I said, yeah, man, that'd be cool, wouldn't it? I said, I'll see what I can do about that. 
And I invited him to church. I began to talk to him about the Lord. And he started getting a little antsy and he's wanting to go. And I don't know if it's because he was getting under conviction or if it's because that cigarette he was holding behind his back was starting to burn his finger. But either way, he is, he is getting real antsy. I said, I want you guys to come and be in church with us on Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. Yeah, man, we'll, we'll, we'll be here. We just live up the road. I'm like, okay. So Sunday morning came, and I'm up there. And I, I'm the bass player at our church, and I was up there on the stage. I was playing my bass. We was in the song service, and I was looking out over across the, the congregation. I didn't see those two young men there. And I'd be lying if I said I wasn't disappointed because I was. But we went on and as we went on, God began to deal with me about this young man that I had been talking to that day. And he began to lay some things on my heart and by the time the service ended, I knew what I had to do. First thing I needed to do, I needed to find a basketball pump. So right after the service, I made a beeline off of that stage and for some reason I walked in the pastor's office and I looked over and lo and behold, guess what was leaning up over in the corner? Why it's there to this day or how it got there. I know why it was there, I just don't know how it got there. It was a basketball pump. Now I got a hold of it and I made my way downstairs and through the fellowship hall and out the back door to the basketball court and I went out there and I got that basketball and sure enough it didn't have much air in it. So I stick that basketball pump in it and and I take a couple of pumps and not only am I not good at playing basketball (laughs) that's why I'm the bass player by the way but I can't air them up either. Because about the second pump, I snapped the needle off in there. And it's hot and it's sunny and boiling out there. So I take the basketball and I carry it inside and I, into the fellowship hall and I put it on the kitchen counter and I'm working trying to get the needle off of there. And pretty soon I feel, I feel, you know, sometimes you just feel like you're being watched. And I felt like I was being watched. So I, I, I turned around and looked, there was... There was our associate pastor, Brother Jared. He's a big, tall guy. He's a country boy. And he's looking at me. And he said, Brother John? And I said, yes. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, <laughs> trying to air up a basketball. And he said, why? And so I told him my story. He said, do you need some help? I said, uh-huh. <laughs> well, Brother Jared's a farmer, and he carries this tool on his belt. And he's got it with him all the time. And it's got, uh, it's got pliers and knives and screwdrivers and brush hogs and, and <laughs> plows. And I, I, it, it. He could do anything with this tool. And, and so I said, okay, I'll help you. And he whips that thing out. And I said, oh, cool, man. 
switchblade pliers. And he grabs that needle and he pulls it out of there. And I go and I'm ramming around in the, the storage closet. I found some more needles and I put a new one in there. And together we aired up that basketball. Amen. We were victorious warriors that day. But this is how unlikely championship works. I took that basketball back out there and I put it down right where I found it. Amen. And I never heard anything else from those young men. I'm convinced they came back though because the following week the basketball was gone. You say, so what is the the moral to that story, the moral to that story is that young man needed to know that somebody cared. That young man needed to know the guy from that church said he would get that basketball aired up and that that guy kept his word. That young man needed to know that somebody cared about him enough whether he'd done what, what I wanted him to do or not, he needed to know that somebody cared about him enough to keep his promise. And I said, God, I may or may not ever know this, but I said, God, let that, let that basketball plant a seed in that young man's life. Somewhere along the way, church, you, you're not gonna slay the giants if you're not willing to carry the cheese. You're not gonna reach young people if you're not willing to air up the basketball. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I wanna share one more passage with you before I start on my second hour of this message. I'm just teasing. I said that one time and somebody was going like this the whole time. <laughs> Over in 2 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> I want to begin with verse number 6. Paul is writing to Timothy. He said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. What is the affliction of the gospel? The affliction of the gospel may be carrying the cheese. The affliction of the gospel may be airing up a basketball. The affliction of the gospel, it, it, it may involve some of the things uh, that may not be so uh, prestigious about the ministry, but it still takes those things to make it all work. Amen. Verse number nine, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Yeah. We're called with a 
holy calling. That holy calling does not only involve slaying giants. Sometimes you got to do the other stuff that nobody likes doing. Brother Josh is talking about the tent revival. We did a tent ministry for several years ourselves, and I drove a lot of those stakes. And whenever I was out there sweating and driving them stakes and missing, hitting myself in the shin with the hammer, that'll try your salvation. Hobbling out there and Wilma's chasing me around. Let me rub it. Let me rub it. And I said, no, no, this is the kind that you don't rub. Just let it throb. That don't feel much like a calling. I said, God, this does not feel like a calling to me. This big knot on my shin this black and blue with them pretty little red lines running through it. This is not a blessing. Oh, but that night when that tent was in the air and we began to sing and we began to worship God and we began to preach the gospel, those altars would begin to fill up with people crying out to God and repenting of their sins and coming to know Jesus Christ as their, as their personal Savior. I said, God, the knot on my shin is nothing like the sacrifice that you made on Calvary for this right here. Today, this sanctuary is full of unlikely champions. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you're at, you might not feel like a champion. Probably when David was out there feeding the sheep, he didn't feel like a champion. When he was toting all that stuff that his father sent to the front line, he probably just felt like an errand boy. But all of a sudden, God said, I need you right here. And God put him in the center. And he said, you've trained for this moment. Go get him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I would venture to say that David was probably glad that he carried the cheese that day. He was probably glad that he didn't say, oh, Dad, I don't want to. But he said, yes, Father, I will do whatever needs to be done. Hallelujah. So I want you to be encouraged this morning, wherever you're at in your walk with the Lord. Wherever you're at, when God first called me into the ministry, I didn't want a, a revival tent and sledgehammers. I wanted a big shiny bus. 
I don't want her to be running all over the country singing in big music halls and having big concerts. That's what I wanted. God gave me a tent and sledgehammer and said, go to Oklahoma and preach revivals in tornado season. I spent many a nights under that tent just trying to keep it on the ground. Trying to keep it from flying in the air or falling down. That's part of carrying the cheese. Somebody has to do it. Amen. Maybe you're the one in the church. Maybe you're the one that's doing the bookkeeping and you're paying the bills and you're, you're balancing the accounts and nobody ever sees what you do. Nobody ever sees what you do, but when they come into the house of the Lord, the lights are on. And it's warm in the wintertime and cool in the summertime. When I walked in here today, I walked in out of the heat and it was cool and comfortable and very nice. And so whoever paid the light bill, I appreciate you today. You're a champion in my book. Most people may not even know who it is, but you know who you are. And God's blessing you for it. And he will continue to bless you for it. Hallelujah. Because you're doing it for him. Amen. Oh, devil, you may come to me with your spears and your swords and your armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God, Jehovah. Hallelujah. He's delivered me out of the enemy's hands over and over and over again. Hallelujah. I can stand before you today and I can say, you know, there's a lot of times I don't feel like a champion. I can't count the amount of times when I was out on the evangelistic field and I was tired in body and I didn't feel good or maybe things were going wrong and, and, and I didn't feel like stepping behind that pulpit. There were, there, there's been so many times that I felt like I was so far away from being anywhere close to a champion. But because I pushed through and stepped behind that pulpit, God used me. So keep pressing in, church, and let God use you. Let him put you where you want to be because wherever you're at right now, that is only one step to leading you to another place that he wants you and another place where he wants you. And not only is he preparing you to do something fantastic, but he's causing you to do great things on the way. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your head with me this morning? I want to ask Wilma to come to a piano with a song. Lord, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you, Lord, for your anointing and your spirit and your power in this place this morning. And Lord, I thank you, God, for for, uh, all that you're doing, Lord. And Lord, I know, God, that, that you've been dealing with some hearts and lives here this morning, Lord. And, and Father, as we, as we begin to open up these altars, Lord, I pray, God, that you would just uh, draw those in, Lord God. Those who are carrying that baggage, 
Lord, those who are feeling down and discouraged, Lord, that they would come to a place in you, Lord, where they will be free. Hallelujah. That place, Lord, where they can give the load that they're carrying to the keeper of the carriage. Lord, that they can move forward and fight the battle that has been set before them, God. Father, I pray, God, that you'd pour out your anointing upon this congregation just now, God. Lord, I give you praise for it. If you're here today and you need to spend some time with the Lord, I want to invite you to this altar.